Hi, St. John's. For this week's podcast, we decided to feature one of our favorite recent sermons. We hope you enjoy. So we've been going through the book of James, just going right through it, and it's just been such a joy and a practical book. And in about chapter three, he started to hit hard on relationships. So relational conflict, uh, how we can use our words well and how we can not use our words so well. And so there's been so much on relationships. And then in this passage that was just read, where he's going next is, all right, how does your faith work with life planning? All right. And so I think all of us in this room, uh, we've got plans. We have hope for a better future. We make plans and and all of that. Um, And so James is going to hit that from a particular angle. But I'm going to try to bring in uh, some other proverbs as Proverbs is the wisdom of the Old Testament. James is like the wisdom book of the New. And so we'll kind of try to uh, look at the totality of Scripture on faith and life planning. And I think uh, growing up, I think that, you know, I'm a father of four uh, children. Got 15, 13, 9, and 3. So uh, we have our hands full. And uh, basically, I think that when you are younger, I think we all remember this, is you start to dream. You start to dream about uh, what could be. What, what am I going to be when I grow up? Um, I think we all start to compare ourselves to others and, and their skills and their talents. And we start to think a lot about what is coming. And I think there's also a lot of pressure on young children today as well as the whole world is at the palm of their hands like it's never been before. And you guys know what I'm symbolizing here. Um, and then... So then you get into high school, and then it's like, all right, you got to choose your right career path. You got to choose the right college for the degree that you want to be in. I chose this image because I think it shows the multiplicity of pathways one could take. There's so many options. Uh, there's some that you think, oh, this could, your parents are saying, this could make good money. Uh, your parents are saying, yeah, you shouldn't do that one. It doesn't make any money. Um, and then, you know, you just, you kind of have all of this that you're trying to put together to figure out the pathway that you should go on. Um, and then you graduate from college. But yet, I think at that point, there's a couple of things going on. I think you're asking the question, did I choose the right pathway? Um, and, and so that kind of creeps in. Uh, and then statistically, Um, If you graduate at 22 years old, I think you are likely single. Um, And then I think if you're a follower of Christ and single, I think we as Christians put a lot of pressure on ourselves as single Christians at that age, do we not? We're like, okay, uh, you got to marry the right person and you have to have a godly family and you have to have a godly spouse. And there's all this this pressure to the point where I think we kind of, lose sight of what's in front of us and the benefits of of now and today and being single uh, as well. Um, And so there's there's all of that pressure uh, going on. And then we are in our career now. And then there's a new set of questions that I think come up. And I think it's like, I think the first one is, do I even like the people that I work with? You know, I think I'm going to see you every day um, and so do, do I like the people I work with? Um, just in case you're giggling about me, I am really blessed. I love the people I work with, um, and they love me. That's why they're sitting in the front row. Thank you. Um, 
I appreciate this. They did that on their own, by the way. I didn't tell them to. Um, so uh, you start to think, do I, do I like what I'm doing? Do I like the people that I work with? And then also, I think we start to think a lot about where am I going to live? Uh, a couple of years ago, I came across this research study. It was an article that I read, and it said, major urban centers are giving, getting larger in population, Small cities are decreasing in size. Sound familiar? Okay, so hate to break it to you. Uh, traffic's not getting any better. It's not getting, it's going to get worse. Um, so, so Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Denver, booming, growth, population, houses, you can't afford them. Um, and then what's happening? Small towns, they're, they're small towns. And so that's how it's going. And so we think a lot about, okay, I got to live in the best city where there's 300 days of sun and I can see the snow on the mountains. Like that's, you know, that's what we all want. And so we're thinking a lot about where we're going to be, where we're planning. Um, and then, you know, um, I think, I, you know, I've talked to s several different single people over the years. Um, and I remember one of them said, you know, maybe the solution to my life is to get married. Um, when you get married, you can just throw all your plans up in the air, okay? Like, so you're about to join your life to someone else. And so now there's two people's plans. There's two people's lives. There's two people's ideas and values. And so you're kind of joining things together. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. Marriage is awesome. It's a blessing. If you're married, I'm not down on marriage here. I am grateful for, for marriage. But it does raise a new set of questions that, that kind of comes into our life. Um, and then what is typically next is this. You have kids. And I chose this picture because it kind of has a little mystery to it. And I think that's a lot like parenting. Like, you start to worry about other things. You start to worry about, okay, what are they going to be like when they grow up? Who are they going to marry? Are, are they going to choose a good spouse? Are they going to choose a good career? Uh, my 15-year-old, she's starting to drive. And so I don't know what that day is going to feel like when she's driving and I'm not sitting in the car next to her, okay? I got to get ready for that day. And just, you're going to say, hey, this sermon will help you, so hopefully it does. Um, and so th there's all these new set of questions that come up, um, and then it leads to retirement planning, okay? And that's where some of you are in this room. You've planned to retire, to be in a place where you no longer have to work a job, but that you can find more rest. And I chose this picture uh, because it just kind of shows that that solitude that I think some of us kind of long for and hope for. I bet the introverts in the room, you look at this picture and you're like, that's where I'm going this spring, okay? Me and my spouse, we're just going to sit on this bench. You know, our phones are away. We're just going to look out. We're just going to get some peace. But for the extroverts out there, I just have the feeling you're like, where is everybody else? Like, where... Where it's just, you know, like extroverts, we get our energy from being around people. We want to be around a lot of people. And so there's kind of like we like both, you know, we like it all. Um, and so 
there's all this planning and preparing, and we all think about our future. And so here's where I'm going today. And here is kind of the theme for this message that I think brings in the totality of Scripture for our lives when it comes to planning is this. God wants you to prepare for your future, not preside over your future. And what I mean by that is biblically, we're called to be prepared, but we are not in sovereign authority over it all. God is. And so, um, and I'm just going to use one of the examples in the introduction, is if you are, if you are single, I would say a more biblical question rather than kind of saying, am I going to choose the perfect person? You know, I remember one guy in college, he was talking to a group of guys, and uh, he was like, Andrew, I'm just going to keep waiting to get married because the longer I wait, the more perfect she will be. And I was thinking to myself, dude, this guy needs some Bible studies. He needs some Bible studies. This is not how it's going. You know, and so... My point is, we need to prepare for who God's going to give us, but not think so much like it's, you're picking the best of like 10 options before you have to settle down, right? Prepare for your future in all of these choices, not preside over it. When I was uh, growing up in Seattle, my dad would just have this thing where he would stack a ton of firewood underneath the deck, okay? So some of you still do firewood, or you're just like, we're done with fireplaces. Uh, we're, our, our family's done. Uh, but some of you, maybe you do this. And so my dad would have all of this firewood stacked up. There was like, there was a massive amount. And he was old school, so he didn't go to Home Depot and buy it. He had trees in the backyard, and he would cut it himself, and he would just stack it all. Um, and in Seattle, it doesn't snow that much compared to Denver. Like, it will snow, like, two inches, and the whole city will freak out because it's all hills, okay? It's all hills. It will shut down. Two inches, everything shut down. No, there, this, the city is not prepared for snow, okay? But then one year, there was this massive snowstorm. Power went out for like two weeks. Can you imagine that? So, like, you didn't have your heat working, and you guys want to know who was prepared. And I was like, okay, I get it now. Okay. My dad was one of the few in Seattle of all of these young professionals who's prepared for what's coming. That is a lot like where. The scriptures are going to go today. God wants you to prepare for your future, not preside over it. And I'll start with just an introductory proverb, Proverbs 21, verse 5. The, the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom. If you haven't read it, you got to read it. It's a great book. Um, it says this. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. So just right off the bat, is God against planning? I mean, you look at this, no. Of course not. You have to prepare. You, you have to make plans. You're going to make plans, 
for the future. And I think that there's two kinds of leadership that people technically fall into or theoretically is the first is process leadership where you make a plan and you stick with it because that's the plan you made. Okay? Sound familiar? Uh, the second is pivot leadership. That is, you make a plan, but you adjust as needed because you know that you don't know what's going to happen. Okay, so process leadership. You make a plan and you stick with it. All right? Now, uh, if you are like this, it's probably like this thing where you said you, you gave your word to the people around you. Okay? So you have a hard time shifting off of that because you said this is what we're doing. Okay, and then so this can be difficult because things change. Things aren't working. You're getting a lot of feedback, right? But you're like, but I already, but I already made a decision. Okay, th this can be challenging if things are changing, things are not working, and people kind of want to be heard, but you're not hearing them, all right? Um, there's a, a couple uh, that, that I knew and, and still know them, and they were both driving in their car, um, and they were driving in traffic. Uh, husband's driving at this particular moment in time, and wife is in the passenger seat. You guys are like, all right, where is this going? Um, and so basically they're about to hit a bunch of traffic, and they know it. They know that some traffic is coming. And then driver, husband says, you know what? The GPS is telling us to go a, a certain way, but I can guarantee you it's wrong. I just can guarantee you it's inaccurate, and we're not going that way. But then she was like, wife's like, honey, the GPS is always right, okay? The GPS is always right. It's calculating, saying, it's seeing things you're not seeing right now. And then he's like, um, I can guarantee you it's wrong. I can guarantee you it's wrong. And then she goes, just follow the GPS. So, you know, in this particular marriage, maybe he's like, you know what? I got to pick my battles. I don't want to fight about this. This is not worth fighting. So, okay, you guys have been there before? Uh, so he, he goes the way of the GPS, and lo and behold, it's standstill traffic. Bumper to bumper. And then um, I think what they described to me was like, it was just crickets after that. So you ever been in that marital tension where you're like, it's better not to talk right now. There'll be too much marital tension. I'm just going to, let's just, just. That's a lot like process leadership where you're like, I can't change course. I got to follow the GPS. We got, we got to just do it the way we said we're going to do it. But sometimes in life, we need what's called pivot leadership where I think we see things changing around us and we go with our intuition. Um, Proverbs 19.21 says this to kind of balance the first proverb. Look at it. It says, many are the plans in the mind of man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Some of you who have lived longer on this earth, I think you're like, amen. That's kind of how it works. The purpose of the Lord will stand. What's he talking about there? What he's talking about is 
God is sovereign. He is all-powerful over our futures. Okay, so he, he holds our future in his power. Okay? So this is kind of shifting back to divine sovereignty. Someone who is sovereign is in charge. All right? All right, so now, with that lens, with those lenses, let's go back into James uh, chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 13. Here's what it says. So keep in mind here, the New Testament writers are always responding to something. Okay? So if you, if you like a world where there's no correction, man, the New Testament is all correction. Okay? And so he's correcting something, and here is uh, what he says. He says this. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You could see, what, it, what is this group of people after? They're after their business endeavors. They're after making some money. And you probably like at face value, why is this bad? Right? But then you have to read it in context. Look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance all such Boasting is evil. So here's what he's after in this passage as we talk about planning and our faith. What he is after are those people who think that they are in sovereign control over their futures. Okay? So you, are in, you think you are sovereign in control over your futures. And then what I would say about... Um, you know, and I think, you know, before I go on my little next part, I think, don't we all struggle with this from time to time? We all struggle with just, I'm sovereign. I got this. And then I think here's two things that happens. If things are going really well, who gets the credit? Because that's how we've set it up. We give ourselves the credit. But then if things aren't going well, man, where does that lead? Okay, now don't hijack the sermon now. <laughs> uh, married couples are always tempted to do this, you know, I think. Um, the Holy Spirit's got this. Um, so here we go, keep going. Um, so what I would tell you is we get into despair if things aren't going well, all right? And so here is what can go wrong if we are trying to have too much control over everything, things are going well. You could start to, he's talking about boasting. You can be around some people that do a lot of boasting. They're boasting about the vacation, the car, the house, the cruise, the food they ate on the cruise, and it's like, man, after a while, I don't know about you, but I just get exhausted hearing about that for too long. Like, I need a different topic, right? And so you can just start to live in your own glory and achievements and stuff. But here's what I tell you. What can money not buy? It can't buy you eternal life. 
So, so, so no matter how many cruises you go on, you, you can't take your money with you to the kingdom of heaven. And so when we make ourselves sovereign, it can either lead to pride in the negative sense of the word or despair. But I think what happens is it creates anxiety. Anybody ever been there? It creates anxiety over what's next. It creates anxiety over the future. Here's why. James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. But yet, how many hours do we worry about tomorrow? Okay, so this is kind of what I would say is the heart of this passage. He's getting after us who put ourselves in the place of God. And uh, a good friend recommended a book. Uh, to, she actually recommended it to my mom. But then I said, you know what? I need to read this. And it's called Winning the War on Worry by Louis Giglio. And if you want to read the best book I've ever read on worrying, this is it. Winning the War on Worry by Louis Giglio. And I think what he goes after is all of the thoughts that go on in our heads in the midst of planning and thinking about the future and worrying about it. But I think one question that a Christian asks, asks is this. What is God going to allow to happen? You ever ask that? What could go wrong? What could go wrong as we go down this pathway? And here is this staggering quote. This jumped out at me as I read the book. This is by Seth Gillihan, who did some research and published it in Psychology Today, July 2019. You guys want to know how many of the things we worry about actually happen? His research shows only 9% of the things we worry about actually happen. So that means 91% of the things that we're worried about, they never even happen. <laughs> and so if you find yourself living in the future and rehearsing the future and worrying about the future and obsessing about the future too much, what he says is, here's a spiritual discipline he gives, is you need to train yourself not to say, uh, what if this happens, but even if. Even if this happens, I have a God who is powerful, who is my strength, who is my presence, who is my fortress, who's got me this far, and I know where I'm going, and I know why I'm here, and he's got me, and he lives in me, and he loves me. Rehearse new thoughts to counteract those negative thoughts, and God will give you the strength. Uh, the second thing that occurs, I think, when we're in this kind of mode of worrying about the future is your thoughts attack. Okay? You ever had your thoughts attack you? You ever have your thoughts kind of just like, boom, this is going to happen, and this person thinks this, and this is going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and my health's not going to work out, and what if my children get into a car accident, and then you start. Okay, so what I would tell you is, that is when we start rehearsing the future too much, our thoughts attack us, and here's a big part of this book. He says this, he says, worry is a liar. 
So it's creating all of these illusions, but they're lies. They're not true. They're not true. I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the blessing of going to the Best Practices Conference in Phoenix. It was a great conference, saw a lot of old friends from seminary. Uh, there was a pastor there who I knew at seminary. We actually played basketball together. And his wife was there, and she's a very spirit-filled woman. And she kind of could, could kind of sense I was uh, going through something difficult at the time. And then I, I just said, hey, I said, hey, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? And she goes, I'll just pray for you right now. She's one of those people. Like, I'm not going to pray for you tomorrow. It Now. So she just started praying over me. And she said, what are the lies that you're believing right now? And then I voiced those. And she was just listening and praying over me. And then she said, what are the truths that God wants you to believe instead? And she started just praying those over me. And it was like this, just calm came upon me. Just this peace came into my heart about a lot of things. And so what I would tell you is that when your thoughts attack, practice replacing the lies with truth in your head. And so a lot of this is talking to, eat, to yourself, praying, journaling, taking the time to practice a new reality for yourself. And what I would liken it to is like buying a new mattress, okay? We've all bought a new mattress in this room, and I think we buy a new mattress. Why? So because hopefully the newer one that we, you know, tested out, we think it's more comfortable. Here's what I tell you. If you want to make this shift in your life to just worry, to to faith and just being able to really have a strong mind and a peaceful heart. It's like getting comfortable with a new mattress. At the beginning, it's a little clunky. You're still adjusting. But the more that you discipline your mind to counteract the lies, God will give you peace about all things in your future. Okay. And then Genesis chapter 3. What was the temptation? What was Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve? What was it? It was this. You can become like God. You can become like God. You could be sovereign, could be all-powerful. You don't need him. He, he, he just has a lot of rules and he's really strict and he's not, he's not really a fun God. So just... You could be sovereign. Have you ever read The Temptation in that fashion? Those of you who, who are familiar with it. What he's saying is, come out of God's protection and his sovereign control. Come into your own. How's that working? Here's, here's how it works. We think we're sovereign, and then we put ourselves in the place of God. But here is what we all already know. We're not good gods. <laughs> We're not good gods. So here is the antidote to that kind of mindset is this. Go back to his protection. Go back to his protection. And the invitation is to recount his faithfulness in your life. 
Go back over, and there's a song called 10,000 Reasons. Go back over all of those ways that he's been faithful to you. Just rehearse those in your mind. Recount the faithfulness of a holy God who, who has loved you, who has provided with you. And just to give you a place to start, you could start with the grace that comes through Jesus Christ, the love that he gives through his son. And you could keep going to earthly things. There's, there's so many ways that if I just pause, how God's been faithful to me in ways that I never expected or imagined. And I encourage you to do that. Do that same exercise. And then also, I would say this question. I think we ask it. Is, can I trust God? When you're thinking about your future, when you're thinking about decisions, when you're thinking about all these different scenarios, do you trust God? Here's what I would tell you. You can trust him because he loves you. And you know that he loves you because he's given his one and only son, Jesus, to shed his blood, to make atonement for your sin. That means he's restored the relationship that was once broken. He's restored it. He's renewed you. He's given you new life. He has said, I don't want heaven without you, so I'm coming to die for you, to show you my love for you. I don't want heaven without you, so I am going to show you how much I love you. And I want you to know how high and wide and deep and unlimited is the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. And I pray that with all of those truths, you'd be able to embrace this. The calming of this passage this passage is meant to calm you. Verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's he, what's he after there? What he's saying to us is this. We are passing through. This is a temporary assignment. Okay? So we can get so caught up in things but what is it telling you here? It's telling you that you are going to a place where there's no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more crying. The gift of eternal life is yours. You're just here on a temporary assignment. The next one is permanent. And so keep that in mind as you're preparing and as you're planning. This will help you to plan and to prepare for what's important in life and what isn't. And then I want to tie it in to chapter 3 where it uses that word, live in meekness. That's a word that means calm. Calm. You guys got this today. You're very calm. Okay? We're calm. Why? We have a God who loves us in our identity, our meaning, our security, it's secure. Thank you. <laughs> secure. I think we just, we kind of need to just go back to that a lot. Where's my identity? Where's my meaning? Where's my security? It's in Christ. It brings me peace. It brings you peace. All right?
And then I'm going to close this next unit of thought with freedom. Freedom in your decision-making, okay? In planning. Look at what it says here. He says, instead, you ought to say, he's, he wants us to talk with a new lingo. Here's, here's the new lingo. If it's God's will, we will live and do this or do that. Amen. Okay, so if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or we will do that. And then look at the next verse, which is human responsibility. Look at what it says. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. What's he talking about there? Okay, so there's a dichotomy here. There's God's divine sovereignty, okay, over your future, but yet you and I, we have decisions to make, right? We have choices to make. So the, the verse 17 is after that choosing, that decision-making. That's our will to make a choice. And here is some guidance and hopefully some freedom I can give to you in that. Have you ever asked the question, what's God's will? <laughs> Christians ask that a lot. Hey, what's God's will for this? Or what's God's will for that? And I think we, it's a good question to ask. However, here's what I hope will give you some freedom. Start with what you know about God's will that's been revealed in the scriptures. Okay? He is speaking to us through that. Start with his will as, as it has been revealed through the scriptures. And if it's a big decision, then I would say you want to get God's word and God's people surrounding you because Proverbs says in many places, in the abundance of counselors or advisors, there's safety. Okay? And then you go with the power of the spirit that's dwelling in you to lead you and guide you. And then there's great freedom, you guys, to move forward and to make a choice with whatever it is. And here's why. In your, so in your closed hand, this is what God's revealed. In your open hand, these are things that God's not commanded nor forbidden. What does that mean? It's free. In this hand, there could be a more than one decision that's honoring to God because he's given you freedom with it. And so uh, I just want to encourage you with that thought that, that I hope liberates you and gives you freedom to move forward if you're worried too much. What's God's will? Okay, if it's right here, it could be a number of things. And then I would tell you, you need to go with what you know, go with the abundance of counselors, and make a decision. And I want to make two references that are supporting what Scripture says um, and it's, the first reference is Patrick Lenciani's book. If you haven't read it, it's called The Five Temptations of a CEO. Uh, wonderful book. Temptation number three is this, choosing certainty over clarity. What does he mean in that chapter? He's going after us who we really want to be sure. We really want to be sure everything's going to work out. So we, we're kind of fearful to move forward and make a decision and so we have a hard time making decisions. We don't like making decisions. We, we like somebody else to make them. Okay? If that's you, this, this chapter's for you. He says you need to be clear to the people around you where you're going. All right? So at some point, you're going to have to go with what you know, go with how God's leading you, and say this is where we're going. And then the next um, reference is, Dr. Brene Brown, any of you heard of her? Uh, she wrote the book, The Gifts of Imperfection. 
I think you all did a sermon series a while back before I was here called, uh, I think it was called Let Go and Let God. Um, It was based on her book, Guidepost number five is Cultivating Intuition and Trusting Faith. What's she after? She's after not living in fear of the dark over fear of the wrong decision, but going with what you know and the counselors that you have in your life and moving forward with your intuition and trusting faith. You don't have to live in fear. You can live in freedom. And then finally, I would say this. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. In all that you do, you do it for the glory of God. In all that you do, you do it for the advancement of his kingdom, knowing that he's faithful, knowing that he loves you. And I'm just going to close with this verse from Ephesians 1 so that you can see God's kind of, I would say, his embrace, his embrace over your life. Listen to words of embrace and his plan for your life right here. He says this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. God is faithful, God loves you, God has a wonderful plan for all of our lives. And I pray the invitation is, let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's find our identity, our meaning, our security in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may he guard your heart, may he guard your mind, through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.